You've uh, you've been to a budget lockup before, Imogen Wells. I have. I've been to one. What's it like in there? The spread that they put on. Really? Mummy, delicious. Is that right? And all you can hear is chewing. <laughs> typing. Oh, that sounds typing, horrible. Typing. typing. It's silent. Yeah. And it's typing, it's journalist, and it's paper rustling, and there is slight whispering, but it's head down because it's a lock-up. You, you are literally locked in there. Mm. There is no reception. You can't text. You can't file stories into your media company's in-house filing system because no one can know what's in that budget until 2 o'clock mm. when the embargo lifts and all the information come out. So it is the race to get your stuff ready so that once two o'clock hits, all of the news outlets can go live on all the stories and all you need to know. So it's like the world's lamest secret society. It's the worst potluck. (laughs) (laughs) It is Budget Day and uh, we are going to be talking about that later on the show. Of course, there is also another big story uh, in Aotearoa at the moment, which is the fire in Wellington. We're also going to be chatting about that today on Newsable. I'm Emil. And I'm Imogen. And this is what's worth talking about. The editor of Wellington's paper, The Post, Caitlin Cherry, is in for more on what we know about that fatal Loafers Lodge fire. Plus, as we mentioned, it's budget day today, so we'll tell you what that actually means and why it practically matters to you. And a potentially extremely confused gathering in Texas this weekend, but you're only invited if your name is Kyle. All that coming up in a moment here on Newsball. Newsable takes time and resources to produce. Please support our mahi and visit stuff.co.nz support. Investigations into the cause of the fire at Loafers Lodge in Wellington are continuing, but police say it is now being treated as arson. But attention is also turning now to how safe this three-storey building was to be used as a hostel and also into fire safety regulations. With more on this, we're joined now by The Post editor, Caitlin Cherry. Kia ora, Caitlin. Kia ora. We're starting to learn more now about what Loafers Lodge was like to live in. Tell us some of the stories that the Wellington reporting team's heard over the past couple of days. So this is one of those buildings that is a last resort. So people who are, as you could say, down on their luck or are in really difficult circumstances have moved into this building for various reasons. So there were 501 deportees who have been brought over from Australia and have real no real connections in New Zealand. We have nurses that have been staying there after long overnight shifts, we understand. Former refugees, people on community sentences and ex-prisoners have all used it. And so we've heard some pretty harrowing stories of the challenges of living in this building. For example, one former refugee was living there. He is a Muslim from Ethiopia and he found it really challenging living there because people were cooking pork in the kitchen and it was all communal kitchens and that was hard for him. And the person in the small room next to him, which he described as a cubicle, was a drug addict who kept threatening to kill him. So it's not necessarily a fun place to stay, but it is cheap for people who have nowhere else to go. So we've also spoken to some ex-residents who lived there about 10 years ago. Um, One told us that the fire alarms were always going off and he actually took a case to the Tenancy Tribunal and won. 
because the practice was that they would just go down to the fireboard and they'd just silence them and there were clear defects. Another tenant um, told us that they lived on the third floor and there was just no way if there was a fire when they were there they could have escaped because you needed a swipe card to get into the stairwell and if you didn't grab your swipe card you couldn't get in. Now we don't know if that was still the case, these are just what we've been told about how it was previously. We've also been told by current residents that the alarms were always going off so people tended to ignore them. For example an alarm had gone off 10.30 the night before and people are unsure whether it went off again but regardless people tended to ignore the alarms. Uh, I will say there was a March 2nd inspection on the building. It did pass. Everything was in working order according to the reports. However, because it was built when it was built in the 70s, it doesn't have to meet the requirements of the current building code, which means it doesn't have to have sprinklers. Do you think, the, and this is a question that everyone's asking, right, do you think we're going to then see law changes here in regards to safety standards when it comes to sprinklers? Well, that's a very good question and one that we have received comment on from a Wellington fire engineer and he says that this is a real blind spot in the Building Act and he is actually quite hopeful that this could change things. There was a similar fire back in 1995 and that was in Hamilton at a place called the Empire Hotel. Turned out somebody had lit it and that person ended up being imprisoned but a lot of the focus at the time of that was on the arson side of things and actually there were all sorts of reasons that people died in the fire which were similar to this situation. So as he said, the condition of the building was almost secondary. So he thinks that this could change things For example, in New Zealand, we don't need sprinkler systems for buildings under 25 metres, which is actually double the height of the Loafers Lodge Mm. if they were built before a certain time. And um, before 1992, it's 43 metres. And so he thinks that all needs to change and that we actually have to have, you know, especially when you've got a lot of people living in close proximity, a lot of people have to get out at the same time, sprinklers are vital. Caitlin Cherry, thank you so much for your time and thank you to the Post's team's time in covering this so well as well. Emma, how are you at budgeting? Um. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, if you ask Teddy, my boyfriend... Uh, he will tell you I'm terrible. In fact, I can already hear him laughing at that question you've just asked. But I do have a few automatic transfers. You know, when I get my paycheck in, I put money in various little places. Um, and I also am aware of how much I should be spending every paycheck. Operative word being should there. Mm. So we'll move on. Well, imagine setting the budget for the whole country. No, you wouldn't want me doing it. But I do know what you're getting at here. Yes, you're too quick for me. It is budget day. So let's do a quick explainer. Shall we? Amo, as we alluded to before, you have have covered a budget before. So what exactly does a budget set out to do? The budget is the money plan for the government for the next year, what's called its fiscal objective, and it covers the dollars coming in, what will be spent and where, while also taking into account repaying debt and investment. Right, okay. Are, Are there rules around the budget? Like, could Grant Robertson get up on the podium tomorrow and say, folks, we're doing something different this year, I'm going to go down to Sky City and stick $16 billion on black, and we'll cross our fingers and hope things turn out for the best? I mean, wouldn't that make a great news story? But Such no, there story. are rules. 
<laughs> and the government is expected to show fiscal control. That means having systems in place to address risks. It also has to make sure that everything is being recorded and money is being used in the right way for the right purpose, the right time, all while following the law. So I don't think we're going to see the money man down at Sky City. Right. Okay. That's probably a really good thing. Yes. Um, now, you often hear this, you know, budgets are a way for governments to kind of show their political ideologies. H- how is that? Each government has different plans, aims, and so in that sense, budgets do tend to vary. Mm. So governments allocate money in a way that suits their agenda while keeping in mind how much there is predicted to be spent. And the government also has to ask Parliament for permission to then go ahead and spend the money the way that it has just set out to do in the big budget document. Here we go. I've said the word budget so many times. Yeah, take a shot when you say budget. Um, Big budget brain image and wealth, thank you. (laughs) Well, joining us now to give us a head start on how things might unfold later today is Stuff's political editor, Luke Malpass. Kia ora, Luke. Kia ora, good morning. People listening might be thinking to themselves, budget? Boring! Uh, Obviously, not you. But uh, please explain in 30 seconds or less why people should pay attention to this later today. Of course, government doesn't have any of its own money. It's all paid for by taxpayers. And so it is really how the current government is planning to spend your money on your behalf over the next 12 months or four years, depending on what the program is. Luke, you often hear about the idea of a lolly scramble in election year regarding the budget. What does that term lolly scramble actually mean? And are we going to see one this year? It refers to basically throwing out money to targeted groups of voters in the hope that they might vote for you. So, you know, it might be bigger family payments or tax cuts or money for teachers or nurses or cops or whatever. This year, I think there is quite unlikely to be a lolly scramble because a lolly scramble also means more money in the economy, which in turn means, you know, it's harder to bring inflation back down. And the key thing that the government is now trying to do is get the inflation genie kind of back in the bottle, at least uh, at a rhetorical level. So then broadly, what are you expecting to see? So I think politically they'll be making a bit of a virtue of restraint. Grant Robertson's already said that they've found sort of $4 billion worth of savings. There's always a bit of smoke and mirrors with budgets. $4 billion in savings is money that we thought we were going to spend on this thing down the line, but actually we've decided we don't really, we don't really need it anymore. And that will be reprioritised is the key language they've been using. And so that will be uh, probably ploughed into, uh, into some other areas. The cost of living, obviously, front and centre this year. But in the background of all of this is the long-running petrol subsidy. People maybe have forgotten about this, but it's due to end in June. I mean, any chance that we could see that extended, do you think? I think there is a chance. I mean, politically getting rid of that a few months before an election would be risky. Um, be bold. Be bold. All of a sudden, uh, petrol would go up basically 25 cents a litre, and you know, diesel road user charges the equivalent. And so I think there's every chance it might be extended or they'll, you know, say it'll run out at the end of the year or, or something like that. Who knows? Might bite the bullet and say, well, actually, we've got to get rid of this. But um, I'd be surprised. Turning now to the finance minister's traditional budget day snack, it's generally a pie, right? But seeing as this is a no-frills budget, would you expect this year for that snack to simply be uncooked sheets of semi-defrosted puff pastry or... That's a bit Something grim. else. That's a bit grim, surely. Very sad. I mean, Grant Robertson is partial to the old, um, you know, cheese roll. Mm. So, mm. you know, maybe he could go back to his Dunedin roots. Luke Malpass, thank you so much. And good luck for later today. Goodness. Thank you. We want to take you now to Kyle. 
It's a city in Texas. Because Kyle is gearing up for a very big battle. Emil, tell us what's going on. Well, Imogen, mm-hmm. as your Kyle correspondent, I'll be more than happy to do that. Uh, the city of Kyle is calling on anyone named Kyle. Kyle McLaughlin, Kyle Mills, anyone to gather in Kyle to clinch the Guinness World Record for the largest gathering of people with the same name. I can't <laughs> yeah. Is there no limit to what you can achieve a Guinness World Record for? The thing that really amuses me is like, say someone brings along their kid and then loses their kid. And it's like... Um, They're gone, I'm sorry to say. So there is already a Guinness World Record for this, as you alluded to there. The Guinness World Record at the moment for the largest gathering of people with the same name are the Ivans, or the Ivans, This is is so silly. I actually can't deal with this, but Um, sorry. Serious, yep. In in 2017, (laughs) a a grand total of 2,325 Ivans slash Ivans descended on the Bosnian town of Kupreshki Koshi. So the Kyles do have their work cut out for them. They'll have to get 2,326. And this is all happening on the 22nd of May, New Zealand time. So we will definitely be keeping an eye on it over well, the weekend. This is a Guinness World Record for the ages. Uh, but yeah. it also gives me flashback to the Josh fight. Do you remember the Josh fight? Oh, the Josh fight. Mm. I mm. The Josh tell, fight. Tell the people about the Josh fight. So the Josh fight happened in 2021. Uh, an engineering student called Josh messaged thousands of other Joshes on Facebook and challenged them to a battle royale <laughs> in the desert where the Joshes would fight for the right to be the, the ultimate Josh. To be the Josh, yeah. To and be everyone, the Josh. Everyone else would have to change their name, right? <laughs> I think a thousand <laughs> people showed up and then they like battled it out with pillows and pool noodles. And then the greatest part was a little four-year-old boy won and they called him Little Josh. We, we, we could always try to trump them with the largest gathering of um, Dunedin's or Shannon's. Shannon's would work. There's a, there's a town in New Zealand. You know a Shannon, don't you? I do know a Shannon. Right. I love my Shannon as there well. There we go. Here's Hi, an idea. Hey, Shannon. Well, I think that's the show, isn't it? Lots of budget in the show and lots of Kyle in the show today. A lot of budget, a lot of Kyle, and I think it's time to finish. That's Newsable for today. I'm Imogen Wells. And I'm Emil Donovan. If you enjoyed this podcast, please do follow us on your favourite podcast player. Uh, and also leave us a rating and a review. It helps other listeners to discover the show, and we would just really like it. Also hit us up directly if you've got something to say, if you've got another town or place around New Zealand that's got a name that we could then get a large gathering of people with that same name to, email us, newsable at staff.co.nz. Have a great day. If you don't have time to read the in-depth stories, or you just prefer to listen instead... The Long Read From Stuff is the podcast for you. Each week we showcase one of our excellent pieces of journalism, telling important or entertaining stories from the world of crime, sport, history, culture and more. You'll also get to hear from the journalists themselves about how they uncovered the story and how it came to life. So for your weekly dose of long-form journalism, beautifully read, Subscribe to The Long Read From Stuff wherever you get your podcasts.